A couple days ago, Senator Marco Rubio published an op-ed on Medium saying Americans should expect election chaos. And he is absolutely correct. This November, we aren't going to have an election night and everybody's already acknowledged it. If you follow my content, you've probably heard me talk about it quite a bit because mail-in ballots will be coming in after election night. They'll still have to count them. But we've also seen several jurisdictions with voter fraud. Several people have been indicted on voter fraud charges, and we are going to see massive amounts of votes be disqualified, like we saw in New York with 84,000 disqualified votes or Patterson, New Jersey, where around 20 percent or so of mail-in ballots are just voided and people are starting to complain because they're being disenfranchised. Well, we now have more stories coming out showing this is going to get crazier. Group sends hundreds of thousands of potentially misleading ballot applications. The mailings contain legitimate ballot applications, but appear to be from a government source. And lo and behold, it's a left wing group sending out what appears to be weird, bogus voter applications or or ballot applications. Why is this happening? Look, I got to say it, man. It would appear that the Democrats are doing this on purpose. It's a part of their strategy to completely upend and disrupt the election. I wonder if the Democrats expect to lose. And because of this, they are just trying to push forward some kind of election system that they know can't work. So at least they'll be able to dispute it and claim Donald Trump didn't really win. Now, I know some people are going to say, Tim, Joe Biden's leading in the double digits. Why should they expect to lose? Well, let me just point out there was a study from University of Illinois. I believe it was Champaign-Urbana that found the Beltway Politico bubble journalists following each other is worse than it was in 2016. The polls could be wrong. There's a lot of reasons to suggest Trump could win. In fact, more than half of voters expect Trump to win. I wonder if Democrats are expecting Trump to win and their strategy is not actually to win. That's why they've chosen Joe Biden. Their strategy is try to de- to delegitimize the president's victory. Let me let me simplify this. We know for a fact from all of these different articles that mail-in ballots are facing serious problems. Left-wing organizations are now sending out confusing and misleading applications. Democrats continue to insist we must carry on with this. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is saying, you know, we shouldn't be doing mail-in voting. It's going to be inaccurate and fraudulent. So you've got the Republicans who are saying, hey, we can't do this, pointing out the problems of this. Meanwhile, Democrats are encouraging it more. No matter how many problems pile up, they deny any of this exists. And so do their allies in media. But that brings me to Joe Biden. You know, I'm looking at all of this and I'm like, Joe Biden's not a viable candidate. Nobody thinks he is. Joe Rogan (laughs) recently called the guy mentally compromised, making voters uncomfortable. And Joe's completely right. Marco Rubio shouldn't need to be telling Americans expect election chaos. Marco Rubio should be saying we need to push back on this narrative being put forward by Democrats that's resulting in this. Let me put it again. Listen, if Republicans are saying chill out on the mail-in voting because it's broken and Democrats are pushing for it, well, it's Democrats doing this on purpose. But it brings me back once again to Joe Biden, who is hiding in the basement. That's interesting. They got a candidate who isn't speaking. And when he does, it's ridiculous gaffes. It's racism. But he's hiding. And now media mentions of Biden are dropping out. It seems like they're not actually setting up to win. I did a video segment a little while ago talking about Biden not even actually campaigning. Have you noticed this? They're not going door to door. They're not doing a whole lot at all to try and help Biden win. In fact, they are hiding the man. Meanwhile, 
advocating for a broken system. Why? Well, the only thing I can say is, like I said, I think their goal is to just try and delegitimize the election altogether. But we'll see how that plays out. Let's actually read what Marco Rubio has to say. And I got to show you this. These, these, these weird mail-in ballots that are coming out, it reeks of voter fraud. Now, I didn't want to go as far as to say that the voter fraud has already begun, but this looks fishy. And it looks like people are already starting to play dirty games. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give, but the best thing you can do, look just below this little video and there's a button that says subscribe and give that button a good tap. Boom. Now you're subscribed to the channel and you will, you'll be more likely to receive content from me on YouTube every day at 4 p.m. If you really like my videos, hit the like button, hit the notification bell and share this so that more people can, so you can help share the word, uh, spread the word of the videos. I want to show you first what Marco Rubio has to say, because his warning is very important. Election night is going to be chaotic, and we're not going to know who won. And I fear that this will lead to more street violence, which, you've all, which we have already seen. And I also want to point out activists are already planning for election night chaos. They are preparing for what they call a siege on the White House for 50 days. But let's read this story, and we'll get to that in a second. Marco writes, four years ago, the United States government failed to respond forcefully to Russian attempts to sow discord in and influence our elections. The previous administration's paralysis left Americans blindsided by Russia's meddling. I got to agree with them there. This happened on Obama's watch. Let's be clear, Marco says. Moscow's overriding goal was and remains to un- uh, was and remains to undermine our democracy and cast doubt on the legitimacy of our elections and drive deep societal divisions in America. Unfortunately, they appear to have been successful, as far too many Americans still question the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Yes, Marco, but please, can you point out it is mostly the Democrats pushing that narrative? As we look forward to November for this year, various adversaries are now seeking to sow discord, and we must be better prepared to defend ourselves. We know with certainty that Russia, China, and other nations are actively exploiting our domestic policy division, our domestic political divisions, and looking for opportunities to undermine confidence in our elections. Given our nation's current challenges, a perfect storm of a global pandemic, lockdowns, subsequent economic turmoil, and social unrest, these efforts could be like throwing a match on an oil slick, but it gets worse. Local election officials in critical swing states like Pennsylvania, which saw a 17-fold increase in mail-in ballots for its June primary, are warning that absent changes, there is no way anybody can responsibly call the presidential race in November. We cannot escape the pandemic-induced reality of increased mail-in voting, and the logistical challenges associated with it will be difficult for some states to resolve the next couple of months. No, I'm sorry, they won't be able to. Marco goes on. This will almost certainly lead to confusion, uncertainty, and perhaps chaos on election night. In fact, we'd be wise to expect it. Imagine election night results showing one candidate on top in a critical swing state, but the lead is fewer than 100,000 votes. And the state has 1 million mail-in ballots yet to be counted. Now imagine that potentially occurring across the country. After all, in 15 states, officials cannot even begin counting mail-in ballots until election day, a process that could take days or weeks. States may also be dealing with an influx of provisional ballots, which are frequently flashpoints in tightly contested elections. Americans would be on edge, even under the best of circumstances, but these are not the best of circumstances. Marco goes on to point out about interference from foreign elections, but I just want to mention 
you know, the, these, these, three, these few points from him. He says, there are a few steps we can take. We must clearly signal to foreign adversaries that meddling in our elections will be met with a commensurately harsh response. Sure, I get it. Second, we, can, we should give states the flexibility to provide local election officials additional time to count each and every vote by moving the federal safe harbor deadline for states from December 8th to January 1st. Now this I disagree with. He says, third, the federal government should continue to provide funding and expertise to states, especially those that do not have established or efficient mail-in ballot systems in place. Funding to support enhanced health and safety measures may also be necessary. Now, listen, I highlighted this post from Marco Rubio because I agree with him on the expectation of absolute chaos. But what he's pointing out with these three steps show us that by Democrats pushing for mail-in ballots above all else, we are now being set up to fail and there is nothing we can do to change this. Marco is talking about a pipe dream. We cannot realistically implement these changes, get this funding and make it work. Even if he thinks we can do, we, we, we can, you know, have steps we can take. We'd have no, nowhere near the amount of time to actually implement it. And he's talking about extending the deadline. You can't do it. It will be absolute chaos. And that's what we can expect. So I have to wonder why it is that Democrats continue to insist upon doing this. Marco is offering us a bandaid on a bullet wound. It will not be sufficient. It won't. In fact, it'll only reward those who have sought to create this broken system. We're hearing now about these weird ballots being sent out from the Center for Voter Information. They say it's affiliated with a nonprofit called the Voter Participation Center that seeks to empower eligible voters with a focus on unmarried women, people of color and young voters. But the organizations have repeatedly sent voters incorrect information. This week, hundreds of thousands of voters in Virginia had incorrect election office addresses on their prepaid return envelopes. What do you think that's going to do? These people are going to get these. They're going to fill them out. They're going to send them in and they're going to go to the wrong place. Mail in voting is broken. Stop advocating for it. I just don't get it, man. We're going to see the craziest election. I mean, in my life, for sure. Check this out. White House siege tactical briefing. Start September 17th. Adbusters, famous for calling for Occupy Wall Street. Maybe you didn't know this. They're the ones who said, go out and occupy. Are saying on the anniversary of Occupy Wall Street, go out. And for 50 days, they are saying they want you to lay siege to the White House and sustain. Uh, they want to lay siege to the White House and sustain it for 50 days. It is the hashtag White House siege for 50 days from September 17th to November 3rd. They want mass groups around the White House. I don't know exactly what will happen, but I think the Democrats are betting on Trump winning. That's why, you know, I see all of this and I think that's the only plan they have. They know they will lose. Their hope is that when they do, they will have something to use to claim Trump is illegitimate. I wonder about Russiagate, right? Why is it that we had years of this bunk investigation against the president? In my opinion, it stopped Trump from firing many people. Now, it's not the only reason for sure, but I certainly think there, that a lot of people in the, you know, in, in the previous administration certainly wanted this Russia investigation. Certainly people in the intelligence agencies that served under Obama or were appointed given their jobs under the Obama administration, they didn't want to lose their jobs and Trump was going to fire a lot of people. All of a sudden, how convenient you get this Russiagate investigation based on all of these ridiculous false pretenses. And there's at least one thing it did. You know, I can't go as far to say exactly what happened, but it is convenient to say the least 
that because of this investigation, it made it very difficult for Trump to, you know, to actually start firing these people. It allowed them to jam up his presidency. And as some have suggested, actually sabotage the incoming administration. This is the whole narrative of Obamagate. When you see stories like this from NBC News, one in five mail-in ballots rejected in botched NYC primary. New York City expanded mail-in voting, but rejected 84,000 ballots in June. I highlight this and I want to tie it to the previous story. The group, the voter registration group, what is it called? The Center for Voter Information is focused on unmarried women, people of color and young voters, and it's sending false information. It's it's a progressive group. So why would they send false information to this group of people? This is going to make it so that when Trump wins, they're going to say, look at the people who got disenfranchised. They'll be able to look at these 84,000 rejected ballots and say it was mostly first time voters, people of color, marginalized communities whose votes could have potentially changed the outcome of the election, but they were disenfranchised. They'll blame Republicans for it. And they will use that to delegitimize or sabotage Trump's second term. That's the desperation I see. Now the post office is broken. Look at this. U.S. Postal Service chief warns of dire finances adopts manager hiring freeze. The head of the U.S. Postal Service on Friday said the agency faces a dire financial position, even as it posted a slightly narrow third quarter loss as package demand soared during the coronavirus pandemic. Because of the coronavirus, business itself is down across the board. And naturally, that means the Postal Service is, you know, is going to be losing money. Look at this. U.S. Postal Service loses $2.2 billion in three months amid pandemic slowdown. But Postmaster General vows agency will be ready for election mail in November. Well, I really don't think I think he's wrong. But I think about all the pieces in play. And what do we have? To be fair, I think we can say with absolute certainty that, yes, the Democrats are completely inept. The reason I say that's what we can guarantee is you look at the narrative around Antifa, how they supported Antifa and the riots for quite some time. And once it backfired on them, now all of a sudden they're starting to back away. And we're seeing the media and many leftists say, oh, actually, Antifa is bad. That says to me they're willing to embrace popular positions if only they know what they are. But I take a look at the lockdown, the costs, mail-in voting and all the problems, and it looks like at any point they could say, we're not going to do that. It doesn't work, but they choose to. And you have all of these grains of sand now making a heat, which is, in my opinion, the Democrats know that the plans they're putting forward are broken. Then they don't care. Again, perhaps because their strategy is to hide Joe Biden, who's not a viable candidate, who's been called mentally compromised by people like Joe Rogan. And I think everybody recognizes the dude isn't all there. Even the far left mocks him all day because they know he's not a legitimate candidate. So why would the Democrats choose Joe Biden, who is just an old broken man? He doesn't have a VP. He's missing his deadlines. He can't debate. The DNC is being pushed back. Now Joe Biden's not going to be in Milwaukee. It's failure after failure after failure. Okay, fine. To be fair, I think I can say first and foremost, the only thing we know for sure is the Democrats are failing every step of the way. But at a certain point, doesn't it feel like they want this? They have warmed to the strategy, as the media claimed, of hiding Joe Biden. So you've got Joe Biden out of the press. When he's in the press, he can't speak properly. And he says things that are overtly racist. You've got broken primary. You've got broken primaries, broken mail-in voting. The Democrats continue to advocate for this. I have to wonder. I do. Take a look at this story from Breitbart. Axios study. Conservative media's Joe Biden related social media traffic in decline. 
Very interesting. And Axios calls this defanged. They say Axios News Whip 2020 attention tracker right wing media defanged. Social media interactions with Biden's stories on right wing media are going down. The three biggest anti Joe Biden storylines in right wing media over the last year have either fizzled or are getting less online traction than they used to. This dynamic has rendered a formidable media ecosystem less effective in boosting President Trump as we move into the heart of the 2020 campaign. The data shows that for articles published about Biden since last fall by Fox News, Breitbart, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, and Western Journal, articles about Biden's mental acuity, Hunter Biden and Burisma, and Tara Reid's accusations have generated the most interactions. But in recent months, the interest has dissipated. Engagement on pieces about Biden's mental sharpness peaked in March and then even higher in June, but has decreased since then. Chatter about Hunter Biden serving on the board of Ukrainian gas company Burisma has been declining. Interactions about Tara Reid's allegations also in decline. They say unlike other storylines that right-wing publishers have feasted on in the past, where new morsels of information reinvigorated news cycles, there have been no new revelations in the Burisma story. Yada, yada, we get the point. They say the bottom line, the trend underscores Trump's struggle to effectively attack Biden and give him ammunition to turn the focus on his opponent rather than his response to the pandemic. They are hiding Joe Biden so you cannot see him and it is working. The media has nothing to talk about, so they don't have a candidate. Perhaps the reason they haven't chosen a VP is to prevent the news from latching on to any of this. They don't want anyone to have an opportunity to smear Joe Biden the way Hillary Clinton got smeared in the last election. And that's why many people think Joe Biden may actually be swapped out. And that's why he hasn't chosen a VP. The Democrats' entire strategy is chaos and uncertainty. Now, look, maybe it's a bit reaching to claim they want the election night chaos with mail-in voting. But based on what we've seen with Ukraine gate impeachment and scandal after scandal and a failure to actually legislate, that sounds like to me, this makes the most sense. It's the simple solution. Over at Politico, they say the media's biggest favor to Joe Biden was to ignore him. Having already pummeled him decades ago, reporters elected to chase fresher targets. Will they wake up when he's actually in the White House? No, of course they won't, because we've seen the trends under Barack Obama. My prediction, if Joe Biden wins, which I really don't think so at this point, the news would fizzle out. And so would the far left because they'd be marginalized and nobody wants to talk about it. The Democrats tried to weaponize the far left to their advantage. Black Lives Matter did see a lot of support following, you know, the George Floyd incident. But because of the riots, things have backed down. And now Democrats are starting to back away from this narrative, though they are still reticent to call out the far left for what it is. Joe Biden will be trampled all over. He is a, I guess, a puppet candidate. He's not a real candidate. He's not actually running, which is why I feel like they've been planning to lose for quite some time. I said this during the primary that I didn't think Joe Biden was actually running for office. I thought it was a uh, just a gag. He wasn't doing events. I mean, he wasn't speaking properly. He was losing in the primary. He wasn't spending that much money. He wasn't fundraising any money. So I'm like, this guy's clearly not running. I question why it is they wanted him to be the nominee. Some people are predicting now that the Democrats actually won't choose him at the DNC. There will be a revolt. In fact, already progressives are slamming the DNC for refusing to adopt more progressive health care proposals as part of their manifesto. So they think come the end of the month, it won't be Joe Biden. 
That's another reason why Joe Biden isn't actually going to be there. Everybody is predicting some swap out. Who's it going to be? Hillary Clinton rematch Donald Trump. Maybe that's why they want the uncertainty. Hillary Clinton's going to come in and get her turn finally. But think about it. Joe Biden hasn't announced a VP. He's, he's going to be two months backed up, I believe, or about a month behind from when the DNC was supposed to take place and the VP was supposed to be announced. There's no debates. Votes are already being cast and no debates have been had between the two presidential contenders. Maybe it's because it will not be Joe Biden and chaos and uncertainty is what the Democrats are hoping for. Joe Biden announced he won't be going to Milwaukee and he'll accept the nomination virtually. Unless, of course, he's not going to be getting the nomination and he doesn't have a VP yet because he won't be choosing a VP. At the very at the very least, what it sounds like is that whether or not they swap out Joe Biden, he's not going to be running. He's not. He's not debating. He's not campaigning. He's not doing anything. So what we get in the end on election night is Donald Trump and that's it. So why did the Democrats think they were going to lose and just need a cudgel for the next four years to claim Trump is corrupt and he's not the real president? Are they hoping for some kind of civil unrest or breakdown? This is another thing that was mentioned in you know one of my previous segments about this war games the Democrats did, where John Podesta of the Hillary camp said the Democrats would not allow Joe Biden to concede if he loses and they would actually advocate for the West Coast to secede from the United States. Are they just hoping for complete and utter chaos? And that's why they've been hiding Joe Biden. That's why the post office, you know, they've been pushing for mail-in voting. The post office is unprepared. And that's why they're pushing broken, fake mail-in votes. I don't know, man. And I'll tell you what, though, the far left is planning their siege in the White House. So there's going to be street level violence. The war games predicted that. And, you know, it really feels like every day we're getting more grains of sand added to the heap, which makes it really hard to break down properly. Every day there's a new story talking about how mail-in voting is broken, the election is broken, and we're going to see more and more of this. Now the far left is planning 50 days of street action in front of the White House, and I think we're going to see it because I think the Democrats want it. I don't know, man. Is it unprecedented or is it just me because I'm 34 and haven't seen that many elections? I know a lot of people have told me in the past. I've seen I've seen a lot of comments saying, Tim, it's just an election year. Calm down. Is this normal? 50 days of far left out in front of the White House. I think they're trying to put Trump in a difficult position where for 50 days before the election, they will claim he's using military police. They'll call him a fascist. And then when it comes to the vote, no one will know exactly who, you know, what happened or who won. I can't tell you, man. I'm just going to sit back here and do the same thing I do, I guess. You know, it's 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 a rough day, to put it simply, because the more I see of these stories about mail-in voting, the less I can actually give you a clear picture of what's going on. The The post office says they're underfunded. The left is arguing that it's part of a Trump conspiracy to actually hinder the post office to break mail-in voting and that it's Trump who wants mail-in voting chaos. But mail-in voting is already chaotic. And we've seen the story going back, you know, a decade now or so, eight years to the New York Times. What are we supposed to do about it? I can't give you the answers, but I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. 72, for those of you that were wondering, the amount of nights of riding you would need to get regular people to finally say enough 
Antifa is bad. I don't want to hear it. It was 72 nights of rioting with daily coverage of every single moment. Well, now we've had Antifa show up to residential neighborhoods for several days in a row. The Democrats seem to have shut up about their stupid myth because Portland is, is descending. I mean, it's, I'd say it's descending into chaos, but it's been chaos for quite some time. And now the big news, Teespring has banned Antifa. Just straight up, Antifa banned. The word, the symbols, boom, gone. Now that's crazy. And Antifa, of course, is complaining, accusing Teespring of being a fascist company. Let me tell you something. I, I, I don't know if you can see below these videos that I do, but I have Teespring merch because Teespring syncs with YouTube. This is a big deal. I actually got notification that an old satirical shirt I made had been banned because it was mocking Antifa. And I laughed about it because I don't I wasn't I don't sell the shirt anymore. It was a, it was a gag, you know, making fun of Antifa and they just it's gone. And I, I, I again, I don't care. But this is big news because for the longest time, Antifa has been able to fundraise. You know, they generate money through selling merch through these companies. But I think that hearing Ted Cruz had about Antifa violence and Andy No speaking up, it's finally forced them to recognize, oopsie, we can't just sit back and allow this. And the Democrats made a serious, serious mistake. Man, this is why I think, you know, uh, people like, I, I think the Democrats are completely, completely inept. And the, the best example would be the fact that they denied, deflected, or even supported these far left extremists, these Black Lives Matter rioters. And I have to wonder, you know, how much they lost in terms of support because they would not call this out. We are starting to see bigger corporations say straight up. So here's here's the, here's from from uh, uh, Teespring. They say Te- Teespring is actually let me show you the first tweet. Antifa International said Teespring just shut down our T-shirt fundraiser. Why? Because our shirts contained the word Antifa. Yes, fundraiser. Guess what? Antifa engages in terrorist activities. So Teespring was probably like, we cannot provide material support to these individuals. Bill Barr is investigating. I wonder if they got a letter from the government saying, just so you know. Well, here's what Teespring said. Teespring is not a fascist company. Due to the recent increase of violent Antifa content, we have removed all Antifa-related listings until we are able to review the intent behind the designs. Reviewing this content will take some time, so we appreciate your understanding. There was a reporter from Teen Vogue who reached out and said, I'd like to get a comment. As you know, Teen Vogue is literally a communist magazine, and I'm not even joking how Teen Vogue went from being celebrity gossip to straight up standing for Karl Marx. I have no idea, but they are. Recently, Teen Vogue published an article calling for the abolishment, the abolition of private property. I am not kidding. It's the weirdest thing to see these institutions completely infiltrated and taken over by these far left extremists. But I want to point something out. The, the, the point of this segment showing you Teespring, I'm now going to show you a statement from the Portland Police Association. What I, wanna, what I want you to understand is that I think we are seeing now a critical mass of regular people saying enough. Too many people thought I could keep my head down and just say nothing and they wouldn't come to my house. And guess what? Antifa has been organizing over the past several nights in various residential neighborhoods. Uh Uh-oh, your sleepy little suburb has people marching through the streets and 
going about your, you know, going all over your property and causing problems. In some instances, vandalizing people's homes and atta- physically attacking a woman at her home. I'm not even exaggerating. I want to show you a photo. And I want to read to you what the Portland Police Association says. I tweeted, I wonder how many votes Trump just got from the video of Black Lives Matter rioters attacking an old woman and splashing her in the face with paint. In this image, there is a man yelling at an old lady. This is not an image of violence, mind you. It's just a frame of a guy getting in the face of the old lady. However, there was violence around this incident. They were trying to splash paint in the building and they splashed her in the eyes. And she's like trying to wipe the paint out of her eyes. Little old lady, man, you know, I saw that video and I got really angry. You know why? Where are the capable young people? I don't care if you're a man or woman to stand up and defend your community. Why did it fall upon this little old lady and those two little old ladies to actually be the ones to defend their community? You know what, man? I'm not super confident in the future because too many people are saying, hey, man, I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to stick my neck out. Well, guess what? Little old lady did. So I'll tell you one thing. Perhaps there is a bit of uh, uh, it's a bit fortuitous for Donald Trump because that image, I tell you what, man, this image speaks more than a thousand words. You know, this is this. Wow. How many older people are going to see that? How many regular people? How many just regular people are going to see this and say, oh, my, this has gone too far. Joe Biden can't handle it. Ted Wheeler can't handle it. Kate Brown can't handle it. The Democrats have failed. The cities are crumbling. You know, man, this is crazy. I talk about the the uh, December 13th, 2019. That's that. That was the election results, I believe. uh, uh, I believe that was the day in, in the UK where the conservatives swept a ridiculous 100-year victory, like the best, vic- the best numbers they've seen in nearly 100 years. And I thought about all the bad things that were happening in this country. And now, now mind you, we still have a, we're, we're still several months out, about you know three, just under three months out. I thought about all the bad things that were happening that could possibly make it you know, worse for Trump. And I thought to myself that you know, Trump's on track to lose. And I see this video of this little old lady being attacked by Black Lives Matter. And, and, and listen, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. These people who are showing up are flying flags that say Black Lives Matter. They are spray painting Black Lives Matter. This is how far they've gone in their extremism. I'm, listen, what you, you got, what you got to understand about Antifa. Antifa is a specific group of people with like anti-capitalist and Marxist and things like this. You know, their ideology is communist. And that does overlap with Black Lives Matter. However, there are, there are certain people who only would protest racism. They're joining the ranks. So this is Black Lives Matter. I see this stuff now and I see the escalation. And now I really am starting to think with the video of, you know, someone going to a residential home and the guy screaming, get off my property. Wow, that guy is going to go Republican straight ticket, man. The police had to apologize last night because they were using LRADs in residential neighborhoods. You know what an LRAD is? It's called a long range acoustic device. It's used to make announcements. These things are impressive, man. I was in, I think, I think I was in Anaheim or Long Beach or something. And I'm like a block away from the police vehicle. They blast the LRAD. It's a speaker, basically. And they say, you know, this is an unlawful assembly. You must disperse. It sounded like they were standing next to me saying it. That's how powerful this thing is. They also do this thing where it chirps and makes this really annoying high pitch, you know, chirping sound. And it's used as a riot control weapon to make everybody, you know, cover their ears and run and disperse because it hurts your ears. It can cause serious injury. 
They had to use the LRED in a residential neighborhood because the far left is going there on purpose. Let me tell you, man, the far left Black Lives Matter people go to residential neighborhoods because they want to put the police in a, in a position where they can't use certain weapons. Their goal is to stop the police from being able to fight back with tear gas, with rubber bullets, or with the LRAD, because they might, they're going to gas residential homes. The gas will go in. People will get upset about it. That's what the Black Lives Matter people want. They're trying to use residencies as essentially as human shields. It's called, it's, I forgot what it's called. There's a term for it a far left tactic, a conflict tactic to make it so that no matter what the police do, they look bad. You let the Antifa people, Black Lives Matter people march through the neighborhood. The residents get mad. Why are these people marching through my home? And why don't you do anything about it? Because if they use tear gas, the people are going to be like, how dare you use tear gas near my home? There's no answer. That's what Black Lives Matter wants when they come to these neighborhoods. Check out this statement from uh, uh, this is from Mike Schmidt. I'm sorry. No, this is to Mike Schmidt. Sorry. This is from the port, uh, from Daryl Turner, president of the Portland Police Association, to Mike Schmidt and Ted Wheeler. Over the last two nights, we have seen premeditated attempts by rioters to burn down the East Precinct, which is connected to residential apartments occupied by general members of the public. The people intent on rioting, violence, arson, and assault are not peaceful protesters. They are criminals who come prepared with helmets, masks, shields, fake press passes, rocks, mortars, fireworks, and other handheld weapons. They were not peacefully using words or signs to protest or enact social reforms, racial equity, or police reform. They were wielding weapons meant to destroy property and harm people. Here are some examples of the weapons carried by rioters last night, including a loaded handgun. My favorite was this, the, uh, the caltrops, the rebar caltrops. Those aren't familiar with caltrops. They are designed, they're, it's, it's metal twisted in such a way so that when it falls, it leaves a spike. You can throw them on the ground and they'll roll and land in such a way that there's always a spike pointed up. Twice in the last two days, the, these riders have accomplished their mission, chaos and destruction. That is because the, uh, the police bureau's operational direction from the police commissioner and city council is to let the violence escalate almost to the point of no return. And only then can the police bureau intervene. That is insane. Police should have the latitude to prevent crime, not watch it happen and only intervene after the fact. And here's the hammer. It does not stop there. Although the police bureau has made 21 arrests in those two days, I have no doubt that those arrested will get away with their crimes without any consequence or accountability from the district attorney's office. Because they voted for it. They, they vote for these people and this is what you get. So there you go, man. Portlanders, you know, I think it's funny. You, you, you've heard me say it because you've heard other people say it too. The Portland riots were only contained to the federal courthouse. Well, here you go, baby. They're showing up to residential neighborhoods. Man, this, look at this one. Oh, this, I'm sorry. This is Teespring. We have this from Andy No. As police dispersed Antifa rioters in Southeast Portland, they ran onto people's property to hide from cops. One homeowner goes out and tells them to get out. Yeah, he was screaming at him. Get off my property. Yeah, sorry, man. It's not going to be enough. They'll target you like they did that other lady. You know, some lady was wearing a dumb armband. So they, they go onto her property and they physically attacked her. They came back to her house and they spray painted and vandalized her home. They came back to her house. So here's what happens. Antifa will come to your residential neighborhood and they'll go on your property and they'll hide and they'll cause problems and they'll damage it. And if you come out and say, hey, you get out of here. What are you doing, you little rep scallion? They'll say, who do you think you are telling us what to do? We'll be back. And they come back 
They did last time. And this guy runs the risk of them coming back now. This is why you need police. But, but you know what, man? If you have a DA's office that keeps releasing all of these, you know, terrorists back onto the streets, that's the, that's the place you live in. So I don't know, maybe defend your property, man. I don't know what to tell you. As police commissioner and district attorney, your primary jobs are public safety, not politics. You are failing. Do not bother asking the many, many officers who have been injured by rocks, bottles, and mortars hurled at them with the sole intent to injure. Do not bother asking the many female and black officers who have endured racial slurs or threats of rape and threats of their uh, threats to their personal uh, and family safety. Neither of you seems to care much about the officers. Of course they don't. Instead, ask these two elderly women about their experiences last night. The first, armed only with a walker, a fire extinguisher, and a homemade BLM poster, tried to put out a fire last night in front of East Precinct. In return, she endured harassment and assault from the rioters, and he posts several videos. Here she is trying to put out the fire, and they, 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 got, they got very physical with these old ladies. Not to the point where they're punching them in the face or anything like that, but they splashed paint in the face of one woman. The second, armed only with her words, was physically assaulted by rioters who threw paint on her, put hands on her, and yelled in her face. Neither of those two innocent members of the public will get justice. None of the rioters who engaged in criminal acts against these two women will be held accountable. Why? Because neither of you will do anything about it. To Mayor Ted Wheeler, uh, our police commissioner, you are telling the police bureau what it can and cannot do to maintain the peace. Whatever operational direction you are giving the police bureau is not working. Our city is filled with violence. It is reckless for you to handcuff the police bureau by telling our officers to intervene only after violence has occurred but not take necessary action to prevent violence before it happens. Step up and do your job. Let the police bureau reestablish peace on our streets and support the bureau and its officers when they do so. No, I am sick of this. I am sick of the cops. Yeah, you heard me. I'm sick of the police, not the good cops who are trying to do their job. I'm sick of the police who are asking for permission and watching this injustice. Listen, I'm not saying the cops should go out and start cracking skulls or anything like that. I'm saying the police should just make arrests when they think they have to. Don't ask Ted Wheeler for permission. You have to defend the people. Your oath is to the Constitution, not to a politician. You don't need him to say, let these people go. If you see a violent criminal being violent, the cops, you got to stop these people, man. Otherwise, we're going to see little old ladies getting hurt. Look, I get it, man. You got cops who are scared of losing their jobs, who are trying to act within what they think are the proper you know, confines of the law. But your oath is not to these people seeking reelection. Ted Wheeler wants you to back down and leave your look. These anti people are trying to burn down a police department with people inside of it. And Ted Wheeler can come out and say it's attempted murder all he wants. But if he's telling you not to protect yourself because he wants to get reelected, no, you have to do something. I don't know, though, man. I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like to be a cop. But I tell you what, there's a line for me. When these people attack a little old lady, you better believe I'd walk in there and I'd, I'd put up a fight. If you were, if you were a cop, I, I, I can't imagine standing by and watching this happen as they block the exits to a police station and try it and burn it down. Why? Ted Wheeler, the police commissioner, is telling you not to make arrests, not to stop violent criminals. I am telling you, man, the dude is doing it because he wants to get reelected. He is personally trying to avoid responsibility and he doesn't want anything to come out and make him look bad. I'll tell you what's worse. 
cops getting injured, getting maimed, being blinded, being little old ladies getting injured. Now, this is bad for Ted Wheeler. The dude's a moron. He's not. I'd be surprised the dude gets reelected. But it's the same with the cops in New York when they paint Black Lives Matter and the on the street in violation of the law. This has all come out. Bill de Blasio broke the law, stole taxpayer money to paint a political slogan and the cops come out and protect it. Do not help these people with their reelection campaigns. It's, it's, it's insane to me. Antifa is coming out of their own volition. Donald Trump is not making this happen. They try and claim that Trump is just trying to enforce the law so he could win reelection. Oh, shut up. He's not making these people do this. But I'll tell you what, Ted Wheeler and the DA releasing these people, uh, the, 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 the DA releasing these criminals and terrorists and the mayor saying, don't arrest them to the cops. That is purely political. Ted Wheeler does not want videos of the police on his watch making arrests of these violent people because he's scared. He's scared that it'll hurt his chance at reelection. To District Attorney Schmidt, you ran into a platform of police accountability, which was a thinly veiled threat to indict officers. What about indicting rioters who loot, burn, destroy, and assault? You see, it's all about that reelection, baby. The position this, this DA ran on was the police are the bad guys, not the rioters. So we certainly can't have the police doing their job. I'm so sick of this, man. You know what we need in this country? We need police officers who swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and stand for that Constitution. Good people who will def- who, who will say straight up, you cannot force me to do something illegal. And I'll tell you this, man, I have to wonder what the legality of the mayor telling cops to allow these little old ladies to be attacked. What's the legality of that? There are cops across this country who said no to unconstitutional order orders straight up, whether it's to benefit someone's campaign or to enforce something against the people that would violate the law. And to those cops, man, you guys are heroes. That's the police policing we need in this country. Cops who are going to stand up and say, I am here for the betterment of my community, for, for the people of this country and for all people to make sure we can live safely and peacefully, that people can gather peaceably. But too, too much we see in these big cities. Everything is about politics. And I get it, man. Politics is the name of the game. Let me read this for you before I keep ranting on this stuff. He says, I am disgusted that our city has come to this. If it is acceptable for riders to commit acts of violence against community members to try to burn down occupied buildings, and if this conduct is allowed to continue, then Portland is lost. Our communities demand accountability. That includes you two being accountable to the public. Allow our police officers to do the job they swore an oath to do to stop crime and the fear of crime. Use the criminal justice system to hold criminals accountable for their crimes and actual consequences. Let the police chief, his command staff, and the rank and file officers do their jobs in protecting the cities from the rioters who are bent on destroying our city, burning our police precincts and assaulting our officers or anyone else who gets in their way. Portland has had enough. Here, here, Daryl. Look, man, I've, I, I understand. I, I empathize with the officers who are saying, you know, we've got the highest, the politicians telling us what we can or can't do, but it's, it's, it, I'm sorry, man. I don't think Ted Wheeler has a right to supersede the will or the rights of the people. He does not. I understand he's a representative and the people voted for this stuff. Well, you get what you vote for. But I just want to say this, man, to all the, all the cops out there. I have seen bad cops in New Jersey arresting business owners. I think the cops in New York defending the, the Black Lives Matter mural, I think those are bad cops. I absolutely do. Defending a, a far left politician's political ambitions and in, 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 in taking taxpayer dollars to do so in New York City. I find that disgusting. 
And I think these cops need to stand up for what's right and say, this is a violation of the, of the rights of the people of the city. Why are our tax dollars going to someone's reelection campaign? They say the same thing about Donald Trump. Then fine. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to argue it. I'll just say, OK, fine. OK, make that argument. Then I'll say the same thing to Ted Wheeler. It's all about his reelection to this other to, to the to um, um, attorney Schmidt. I want to get their name. I know Ted Wheeler, Mike Schmidt. Stop defending. The cops need to stop just doing what these 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 politicians want for reelection. But I get it, man. Look, it's supposed to function this way, right? We need some place accountability. And I'll tell you what, right now, the police are being are, are following the orders of their commissioner and the DA is releasing these people. Maybe that is the right thing. I'll be honest, because now the, the people are going to see what you get when you vote for this stuff. You want politicians like Ted Wheeler to tell the cops not to make arrests? Well, you got it. You want Bill de Blasio to spend your taxpayer dollars on a political message to every single Republican in New York City. There you go. You got it to every disaffected liberal who doesn't think the city should be spending money on political campaigning or who doesn't like de Blasio. Congratulations. You voted for this. At the very least, you sat by and you did nothing. I think we need more. I don't know. What's a good word for it? Conscientious objectors among the police to make sure the police need to recognize when you stand down or stand next to these people, you have made that choice. I'll tell you what, you got you got difficult uh, uh, legalities in terms of what you can or can't do in this regard, but fine. We just saw that woman from MSNBC quit. She wrote this big thing. It was really amazing about how she thought MSNBC was, well, she likened it to a cancer. You know, she, she was quoting somebody else, but she goes on to explain it as a cancer. She stood up. She walked out. A lot of cops have been quitting. You know why? I can't imagine being in a position where you are doing a job where your hands are tied behind your back. You're simultaneously demonized and everything you're doing is benefiting the people who spit in your face. That's why I can't understand. And I'm so angry for me. I believe in personal responsibility. So if you're if you're one of these cops in New York standing next to a Black Lives Matter mural, paid for with stolen taxpayer money. We know this now because Bill de Blasio did not go through any permitting process or legal channel to get Black Lives Matter painted on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower. He did it illegally, siphoning away tax dollars for a political campaign message that obviously Republicans don't like. They want Blue Lives Matter or they want MAGA 2020. This this is all about his politics and his reelection. And these police officers made a choice that they will defend a criminal action I'm sorry, man, that's on you. It is your responsibility. And nobody's at nobody else's. If the wall of moms want to come out and link arms to defend terrorism, then they are aiding and abetting that. And if the police want to come out and aid the reelection efforts of a politician stealing money from the public for, for political ambitions, they are as well. I'm sorry, man, you don't get an excuse from me. It's the banality of evil to stand by and allow Antifa to, to attack old ladies. Cops, man, you got to stand up. It's your choice. I get it, man. I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like to be in these positions. But at a certain point, you, you know, you need to see an individual act of heroism, an individual action of defiance. Otherwise, corrupt politicians like in Portland and New York will keep getting away with it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. The McCloskey saga continues, this time with some good news. Republicans are demanding a DOJ investigation of the rogue prosecutor who charged the couple 
who pointed guns at protesters. If you're not familiar with the story, it's quite simple. At the peak of the Black Lives Matter riots, a large group entered private property. The McCloskeys came out with guns to defend their property. That's really the gist of the news. Now, the protesters or rioters or whatever you want to call this group, because they did enter private property, they did break the gate, argued that they were peacefully protesting and this was illegal and all that other nonsense. The McCloskeys argue they were being threatened. And according to police, in fact, it would seem there was one armed individual, another person wearing a bullet resistant vest. But there's a lot to go through here because in the past week, we've learned some pretty crazy new information. This rogue prosecutor, it would seem, is trying to frame the McCloskeys. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we learned, you see in this photo of Patricia McCloskey with the handgun, they turned that in. And when the crime lab got it, it didn't work. So the prosecutor says, reassemble it and make it work. And then they said, upon reassembly, it turns out it can fire. You know, it was clean and readily uh, available to to fire or to, you know, to produce lethal force or whatever it is they're trying to claim about the weapon. However, the McCloskey say the firing pin was put in backwards because it was being used as a prop and it was not actually able to be used. There's more good news because as it seems, the prosecutor is trying to frame this couple. The police are refusing to sign off on bogus claims. Check this out. St. Louis prosecutor to detective on McCloskey case, quote, I suggest you quickly reassess this evidence. Oh, we get it, baby. Morality government is here. That's what I warned you about. And it's getting worse. This is one of the most important legal battles we will see. According to the attorney general in Missouri, the McCloskeys had every right to defend their property. Missouri is a very strong castle doctrine state, meaning the McCloskeys had no right to retreat in some, I'm sorry, no duty to retreat in some states. You actually have to flee your property. And only when you can't flee, are you allowed to defend yourself? Well, Missouri ain't like that. In fact, according to the AG, he says you can actually use lethal force to prevent someone from entering your property. So technically they could have They could have used lethal force on these people for simply entering the gated community. One argument being that coming into that street was akin to being in their living room. Now, that may be a bit extreme. And the McCloskeys didn't shoot anybody, but they were standing on their property saying, get back and get away. Yet they're still being charged. And it seems that the DA is trying everything in her power to frame this family. And it's nightmarish. I'll tell you why it's nightmarish. And then we'll talk about the latest update with the DOJ. In Austin, an armed Black Lives Matter guy approached a vehicle with a rifle and his hand on the grip. Some people said it was low ready. Some people said he didn't actually have it ready. Some people said he did eventually aim the weapon. Well, he got shot and he got killed. And the far left mourns this man as a martyr, a guy marching around the street with a rifle. He's on their side. He's good. These people on their own property who did not seek anything out, people come on their property, apparently armed, and now they're the bad guys. Now the prosecutor, the force of government is trying to come after the is literally coming after these people with bogus charges. First, I'll say this shame on the police who actually came and enforced these these bogus uh, charges. I, I'm, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual officers. You made the choice. I don't care what anyone told you to do. If your friends told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? No. If your boss tells you to do something that's illegal, don't do it. Why should cops be any different from anybody else? You work at McDonald's. If your boss said, hey, you know, spit in that guy's drink, would you do it? No, you would. I mean, some people might out of fear of losing their job, I guess. 
But I believe these officers should say, look, I'm not doing that. It's illegal. But I'll tell you the good news here. The detective was like, I'm not signing that. Lead detective initially refused to sign documents prosecutors wrote about the case, but I guess eventually did sign some documents. So I'll tell you what, man, that's why I'm saying there's some good news layered on some bad news. It seems like the police are at least trying to resist, but we know we can see the DA is manipulating evidence. I'm telling you, reassembling the gun to make it seem like it was capable of firing. They have no evidence to prove that they received the gun. It couldn't fire. So they altered the evidence. That to me is insane. Well, that's the gist of the story. What I want to talk about is the potential for a DOJ investigation, because this is the newest update. Republican congressmen demand investigation of rogue prosecutor who charged couple who pointed guns at protesters. I'm glad to see Republicans finally doing something. But I'll tell you what, asking for an investigation or demanding it, in my opinion, is not enough. We need a legit investigation. And this is what the feds are for, in my opinion. You got to shut this down. These people are on their own property, defending it from extremists. They should not be going to prison or even having their weapons confiscated or being jammed up in any way over this. But let me remind you why I bring up the dude in Austin. This is an attack on normal people. If the government gets away, if the state government of Missouri gets away with criminalizing people who, you know, are on their own property, we're not seeking out any conflict. If they criminalize this, I'm telling you, man, they're already coming to homes in Portland. They've gone to residential neighborhoods now three or four nights. Actually, no, like a week over the past week. Every night they're going to residential neighborhoods. They're vandalizing homes. They're confronting homeowners. We cannot allow governments to target people who are minding their own business. That's when it gets really bad. The morality policing and the morality government. Let's read the story. National Review says Republican members of Congress on Thursday demanded that the Justice Department investigate rogue prosecutors, including the prosecutor leading the case against the St. Louis couple who pointed guns at protesters outside their house last month. Criminals should live in fear of prosecution, not innocent Americans defending themselves, their families and their property. Read a letter to Attorney General William Barr from 17 Republican congressmen led by Representative Jody Arrington of Texas. The prosecuting attorney's actions appear to be driven more by an anti-gun, not anti-crime agenda. In a June 20th incident that was caught on video, Mark and Patricia McCloskey pointed guns at protesters outside after the crowd entered a private gated community on their way to St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruson's residence to demand her resignation. The couple, both personal injury lawyers, stood outside their home in Portland Place, Isn't that funny how this all works out? They live at Portland Place of all of the locations that could have been named something. We get the weird Portland assault in in actual Portland, Oregon, and now Portland Place in Missouri. Are the the activists just do they just like the word Portland? Whatever. You know the gist. There were there were no trespassing signs. There were private property signs. They came anyway. The couple was charged with unlawful use of a weapon by St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. We urge you and the Department of Justice to investigate Ms. Gardner's actions and the actions of every rogue prosecutor who fails to uphold the rule of law and secure the rights of our citizens. The lawmakers urged in their letter to the attorney general. Here, here, bravo. I just read you the letter in the previous segment from the PPA in Portland, the Portland Police Association, saying that we arrest the criminals, but we, you know, we have no reason to believe that these these criminals will actually face some kind of penalty. The district attorney will release them and they will face no penalty for the crimes they have committed. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist of it. 
Hopefully the DOJ goes above and beyond and starts looking at New York and, and Fort Worth, these places that were releasing these extremists. Now in New York, it was low level protest defense. Fine. But they're also locking down churches. I'll tell you what, man, you will get no goodwill from me on this issue. If you're going to lock down churches and lock down sporting events, then you're going to, then, then you can't just be releasing people violating your own lockdown orders because they're supporting your cause. The DOJ needs to get involved. Hopefully this letter results in that. The purpose of the letter is to stop rogue prosecutors who are trampling the constitutional rights of citizens and ensure other local prosecutors do not copycat Gardner and cause a more pervasive problem with this because of politically, politically motivated local elected leaders who want to advance either their personal or political agenda. Arrington said in an interview with National Review, bravo. I agree, man. And I'll say it again. At a certain point, it comes down to the individual police officers and the individual prosecutors, anybody working with these people who make the choice. Will you violate the law to support the ambitions of a politician? Because I'll tell you what, man, when it comes time for a reckoning and we start purging the corrupt cronies in government, you will be fired or the police departments and you will lose everything. I absolutely believe Anybody who chooses to violate the Constitution, to violate the rights, should face some kind of you know, penalty, some kind of reckoning. And for the police, that includes you too. If you're a cop and you sign off on false documents, you arrest people, you charge people, and you know the charges are bunk, well, I think then you got to be held responsible because that was your choice. There was a case back during Occupy Wall Street where I was filming uh, uh, and I happened to film a photographer standing on the sidewalk. He got arrested and they filed false charges. The officer lied under oath, lied under oath to the court. And guess what? Nothing was done to that cop. That's a bad cop. That's called corruption. That's called an officer not caring about the Constitution, civil rights and standing up for the people. And nothing happened. And I'll be salty about that forever, basically, because I don't like the idea of people breaking the law and there being no justice. Now, it goes the other way, or I should say not not that it goes the other way, but that it doesn't matter to what extent, in what capacity you as an enforcer of the law are breaking the law, be it somebody who's supposed to be prosecuting Kim Gardner, she should be fired, impeached, whatever, and potentially criminally charged for corruption, for trying to uh, uh, fraudulent or to, to alter evidence. Let's read more. Quote, let's snip it in the bud and now have a pervasive chain reaction, which could create more fear on the part of law law abiding citizens. The Texas Republican uh, continued, which would create. It would also embolden the bad guys, the criminals and the thugs that have hijacked peaceful protests who have a singular focus, and that's to sow chaos in our communities and fear in the hearts of our fellow Americans. Arrington added that one way to hold prosecutors accountable would be to defund them. And another might be professional sanctions within the St. Louis Bar Association. I don't want to get ahead of the investigation, but on its face, it looks like an egregious abuse of power by someone who clearly has a history of anti-gun policies in politics. Arrington added that while it is very, while he is very sensitive to the federal government's intervening in state and local matters, the constitutional rights of citizens being trampled by those who are supposed to enforce the law and secure those rights at a a state and local level is a matter of federal jurisdiction. We've seen what happens in these cities where local leaders tolerate this. Whatever you tolerate, you will get more of. We need to make sure than federal jurisdiction 
that we send a message to law abiding citizens that your government has your back in terms of securing those fundamental rights. I am not just going to be criticizing the DA. I absolutely will be criticizing the police here. Let me read you the story and show you what's going on. This is from a week ago. The lead St. Louis police detective investigating McCloskey's case refused to sign at least two versions of court documents prosecutors drafted, according to a review of those documents obtained by Five on Your Side. Now for that, bravo. The individuals need to be held accountable. If they come to you and say, sign this evidence and you know it's not real, don't do it. It's your choice. In addition, the uh, police contended at least one person in the crowd was armed and another was wearing a bullet resistant vest after analyzing videos taken taken from June 28th when the couple confronted the protesters. The case has attracted national attention since photos and videos went, went, you know, went, went public. This we all know. Critics, nearly all Republicans have said Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner should not charge Mark and Patricia McCloskey because the state's castle doctrine and stand your ground laws allowed them to defend their property against perceived threats. The documents obtained by five on your side include an email Gardner's assistant circuit attorney Chris Hinckley sent to the lead investigator on the case, Sergeant Curtis Bergdorf. Hinckley emailed police the day before the McCloskeys were served with a search warrant, stating it needed to happen now. At this point, Everything points to these weapons being real and loaded, but no one has asked or confirmed, he wrote. Come trial, they'll say they were waving around a BB gun and an air rifle. Hinckley also wrote to Bergdorf's commander, Major Angela Kuntz. Our office is receiving inquiries from the public and press about a warrant application and potential charges. We've thus far said the matter remains under investigation. I'd really like to avoid pointing to a police follow-up request as the holdup but I won't control the messaging if this goes on any longer. Please see what you can do to help this along. Again, I'm asking for priority on the firearms issue. The search warrant allowed officers to seize the guns the McCloskeys used during the encounter. The rifle Mark McCloskey used was intact when it arrived at the crime lab. The pistol uh, that uh, Patricia used was not, according to documents obtained by Five on Your Side. Hinckley ordered the crime lab to disassemble and reassemble Patricia McCloskey's gun and signed a court document stating it was, quote, capable of lethal use at the time she pointed at protesters. Yes, using a twisted understanding of the concept, it technically was, I mean, you'd have to disassemble and reassemble it as far as we can tell, but it was capable. Yeah, sure. Because what, you could throw it at their face? The McCloskey's attorney, Joel Schwartz, said Patricia McCloskey's gun was not functional because it was once used as a prop at a trial. The McCloskey's are both attorneys. He said Gardner's interpretation of the law is wrong. It's a loose interpretation of the statute and the law requires a weapon to be operable at the time of the offense. A spokeswoman for Gardner, a Democrat, said she could not comment on the pending case. Hinckley also wrote the document the lead detective did sign known as the probable cause statement. Uh, he did. Hinckley also wrote the document the lead detective did sign known as the probable cause statement. I don't know. What are they trying to say? But it went through at least two revisions after Bergdorf outlined 14 concerns he had about the document. Five on your sign has learned. This is a, Wow. So among those concerns, Hinckley characterized the protest as peaceful. Oh, I love it. Peaceful and organized. Hinckley wrote that McCloskey's was armed with a semi-automatic handgun. Bergdorf wrote the phrase should read what appears to be. Hinckley called Mark McCloskey's gun an assault rifle. Bergdorf called the word assault a propaganda term. Wow, this is amazing. And assault doesn't mean what they think it means. 
Hinkley wrote the protesters passed through an open gate. No, not true. Hinkley, well, I mean, technically true. Someone opened it. Hinkley wrote that Mark McCloskey's gun was visibly loaded with an ammunition clip. Bergdorf wrote that he would have to verify that detail because it wasn't mentioned in his report. Hinkley wrote both victims identified by their initials feared that the defendant might fire her weapon. Bergdorf wrote the term angrily was subjective and he didn't like it. Hinkley wrote it's a fact and an element of the offense. The police are bravo to the cops for resisting and pushing back on, on, on the courts here, because a, a lot of times the cops are just like, sure, whatever you say. Five on your side also obtained a voicemail. Hinkley left Bergdorf after he wrote his response to Bergdorf's objections. He states, Curtis, you need to call me back. I wrote a long email to you trying to ask a bunch of questions about whatever it is you, uh, you said some was expletive. Now we need to straighten this out because I'm about done with this crap. Call me back. Since the couple was charged, Bergdorf's investigation has continued, according to the documents. He noted in follow-up reports that at least one of the protesters was armed with a handgun, and another was wearing a bullet-resistant vest with the words human shield on it. Some of the phrases he was able to decipher from the footage collected by prosecutors included, you own a business, your business is gone. We coming back, baby. You ain't the only expletive with a gun. They coming back to your house. These are threats. Another live stream video Bergdorf wrote a man was heard saying, I was in front, so I was the one who opened the gate. The gate was broken after they pulled a gun. So what law What law did we break? We keep guns there, but not for show, though. Not to look a certain way, but for use. If they would have shot, then they would have been put down. Wow. Bergdorf wrote a man was saying this. This is the police recognizing there was a real threat here. The only thing Bergdorf wrote from what he could hear from McCloskey's included Patricia McCloskey shouting, Go! as she pointed her gun at demonstrators. They mentioned then previous coverage. We also have an, uh, so, so this is the gist of the story. I, I, sh- I just want to point out here as, as we come to the last little tidbit, the prosecutors are trying to frame these people. And what I mean by frame is that very simply, they are falsely framing the incident to make it seem like they did something wrong. The protesters were violent. They were screaming threats. You could hear the threats. We coming back. We have guns. We'll put them down. You could hear that. The cops acknowledged that. The cops still came and seized the weapon. But bravo to the officers for, for doing what they can to uphold the law in this regard. If, if, if this goes unchecked, what we've seen in Portland, what we've seen in Missouri will expand across this country. The McCloskey's are certainly fighting back. They're trying to get Gardner disqualified. Uh, from her case. Well, let, let me read. Attorney for Mark and Patricia, Patricia McCloskey files motion to disqualify Gardner, her office, from pursuing the case. So we will see how this plays out. But man, this DOJ investigation, we need it. Bill Barr, we're counting on you to do the right thing and make sure that these politically ambitious prosecutors, mayors, will not be allowed to lie, cheat, and steal their way through this. They're lying. I want to point out one thing to you. See in this photo, this man's holding a boom mic. A lot of people take this photo and they believe this man's holding a weapon. He's not. He's holding a microphone for a camera. You can see Patricia pointing the weapon at him. Let me just make one thing very clear. The left is arguing she's threatening a man with a camera. The right, many people on the right and many, many people on the left, many on the right are saying that this guy's holding a weapon. All that matters is whether or not Patricia McCloskey knew or, 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 or whether or not she thought she was being threatened. This guy's pointing something which looks like it's got a barrel. She might have seen that and thought it was a weapon, not knowing what it was. You can't expect everybody, everybody to know what a boom mic is. 
Did she feel threatened? I'd argue this photo proves that the McCloskeys did in fact feel threatened. And that's why they were brandishing weapons. It does. I'm sorry. That's why they tell you to be careful when you're waving things around, even a cell phone around cops. Now, I don't like the idea of cops killing people over phones or cameras, but we've got a complicated circumstance and it seems the law is on the side of the McCloskeys. In New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio was breaking the law and stealing taxpayer funds for his reelection campaign. Ted Wheeler stood with the rioters in Portland for his reelection campaign. Then you had uh, Kate Brown, the governor in Portland, defending the protesters, the AG defending, the, I'm sorry, the rioters, defending the rioters because they want to get reelected. Kim Garner's got, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I believe that's her name, right? The, you know, Kim Garner, whatever. The prosecutor here, Gardner, is politically ambitious and is trying to use this to bolster her career and defend the extremists, but they're all ideologues. Good on the cops for standing up and refusing to sign the documents, even after getting cussed out by the, by the, by the DA. I got to tell you, man, it's kind of crazy to hear this story. Typically, the police and the DA's office work together. I mean, that's my understanding. I don't know if you've ever watched, say, Law and Order or whatever. I'm not saying it's exactly how it goes because it's TV. But the DA and the police coordinate because the police investigate, the DA prosecutes. To see this break is really, really interesting. Do the right thing. The DOJ should investigate, should shut down these corrupt politicians 100%. Because I will, I will remind you of one thing. The one thing I've said earlier in this video, the one important point, when it was the far leftist with the rifle in Austin, he was a martyr to these people when he was armed, when they tried to defend their property and did not seek out confrontation, they call for their heads. You see how the double standard works rules for thee, but not for me. They will be marching around with guns. They will justify everything they do. And they will use every twisted word of the law and every connection they have to punish you, the homeowner, minding your own business on a on a afternoon, sunny day, or maybe it was cloudy, whatever. They'll come to your house. Do not let them stop it here. We need Bill Barr to do the right thing. Come in. We'll see how it plays out. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at TimCast.net, and I will see you there. You know, I'm supposed to be working here, reading the news and, uh, you know, researching, fact checking. And I see these Twitter threads every so often where people start arguing about political issues. And of course, I've got my opinion. So I saw this Twitter thread between Carlin Boroshenko uh, and Shuanhead talking about housing and working jobs. And I had to chime in. So I tweeted about my experience, how I feel about work, the American dream, socialism and the left. And I think uh, let's have a conversation about what it means to achieve the American dream, work hard in this country, because I think too many people on the left are absolutely entitled and do not understand what the real world is because they have been pampered, essentially. Look, people today in poverty have problems. I am all for figuring out ways to improve the, the, the standard of living for everybody including, you know, even middle class people, upper class people. Let's make life better for everybody. Now, I'm less concerned about upper class people. I'm more concerned about people in poverty. But I got to tell you something, man, hard work. You got to do it. End of story. There's no excuse for not doing hard work. And too many people now don't realize that even though they may be considered poor today, they live such better lives than people who came before us. And of course, the response I see in these threads are, so of course, we're all doing better. It doesn't mean we accept how bad things are now. No, it means that you think it's bad now, but back then they'd kill to be where you are. And it means, here's my favorite part. 
in 100 years from now, we're going to be sitting here having a conversation and there's going to be some lefty being like, it's absurd that someone has to work two jobs in order to afford interplanetary travel. The government should be subsidizing interplanetary travel. You get the point? We have amazing technologies today, air conditioning, refrigerators. Poor people have these things. These were luxury items for only the ultra wealthy a long time ago. What that means is poor people today are rich relative to where we used to be. We're comparing poor people in poverty today to the to rich people today. That doesn't make sense. It'll always exist that way. Let me show you this thread and I'll and I'll talk and I'll explain to you what's going on, because the gist of this is I work nonstop all the time, period. No days off ever, like rarely, only when I have to when I have some kind of ailment or something, which is rare too, because I exercise almost every day as well. Some people don't want to do any work. And we've really come to a point where we are spoiled. The idea of having two jobs just to survive, what does that really mean? I think the far left has a weird view of things. Let me, let me show you this thread. A Teen Vogue writer said abolish landlords. In response, Carlin Borsenko said, or you need to save for a down payment and go buy your own house if you don't want to rent. It's not hard. FHA loans for first-time homeowners make it doable for anyone willing to save. That's how I bought my home. I acted like an adult, and now I don't have a landlord. Shuan Head responds, this is literally the just buy a house meme. You cannot be serious. I got, I got to stop right there because you, you, you can actually really easily, uh, relatively easily. I shouldn't say really easily, but I should say it's accessible through FHA for people, yeah, to just buy a home. If you have money to put a down payment, uh, uh, you know, like a first and last month's rent, then you've got money for buying a house. You do. I'm not going to pretend like everybody can do it. So maybe you can make fun of the just buy a house mean. But I think this is another mistake of the far left when they operate under the assumption that it's really difficult to do. And it sounds actually like a, a, a naive young person thing to say, especially when you have access to the Internet. Look, I get it. Not everyone can buy a house, but there are government programs through the FHA which is a government program to make it more accessible and easier for lower income people to buy homes. And then you don't have a landlord. In response to this, a bunch of people jumped in and started saying things like, you still have a landlord. It's the bank. No, you don't. The bank can't stop me from playing music at 2 a.m. I own my own house. I can go in the backyard and do whatever I want. I can walk. I can, I can get a dog. I don't got to ask questions. I owe money to the bank. They don't control my house. Carlin says, I'm serious. It was round about uh, it was it was round about two months between when I decided I want to buy a home and when I bought my home, I literally decided to go buy a home and then I did. Shu's response: I know it's possible. I can do it. Do you know about seventy eight percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? Renting is the only option for most people. No, it's not. Carlin says I was not making a lot of money when I managed to save for the down payment required for an FHA loan, which is significantly less than what is normally required. Shu says paycheck to paycheck means no extra money to save. Carlin said, then get another job or start a business. I had a side hustle in addition to my full-time job, and that was how I did it. No one is a victim of this world, shoe, and you are not helping anyone by telling them they are. Shoe on head says, you think it's normal that someone should have to work two jobs to support themselves? You don't think we should maybe fix that? It is absolutely normal for someone to have to work two jobs to support themselves. End of story, period. I'm done. 
Okay, back before we had luxury and technology and air conditioning and refrigerators, people worked from sunup to sundown. Today, people who try to be self-sustainable work from sunup to sundown. Go live on a farm, a real farm, and contribute and see just how much work has to be done if you want to survive. During Occupy Wall Street, they granted some land to some of the activists. I know people who went to go live on that farm. They immediately fled the farm. They were there for a couple of weeks and realized just how much work goes into surviving and just how little you actually get from this. You had to work 16 hours a day, every day, no day off, just to have the bare minimum. No AC, no electricity. You're growing your own food, food, tending to the crops just to survive. Because guess what? When winter comes, if you're not prepared, you don't make it. So yes, it is normal actually for human beings to have to work. In fact, Early humans had malnourishment because they were constantly in struggle. But guess what? Things got better. Today, what does it mean that you need to work two jobs to survive? Here was my response. People with two jobs work less than I do. Are we trying to find some kind of minimum life standard? I'm all down for finding ways to improve the lives of people in poverty. But it's important to understand that people in poverty today live better than 99% of people 100 years ago. The point being, that there will never be a time when people will be satisfied where they are. And the solution isn't isn't to say I should not have to work because you will always have to work. Think about it this way. People say, no, you you have to understand if you want a job today, you need a cell phone and internet. You can get cell phone and internet very, very cheap. Actually, they have like $20 Android phones and really cheap plans. But you're right. You do need the money to buy those, those services. It's going to be really difficult to function in a modern society if you don't have a cell phone. A hundred years from now, you're going to need a Glorbatron, which plugs into your brain so you can instantly communicate with the bank and with your manager to know when you got to be at work and what you got to do. And your job will be something ridiculously tedious and you will have a job and you'll be complaining that your luxury yacht isn't nearly as big as the astro yachts, the, the, the interstellar colonists have. The point I'm saying is, Right now, to complain that you have to work two jobs to have a refrigerator, air conditioning, a cell phone, access to the internet, you have access to the summation of human knowledge as a poor person in this country. We are doing tremendously well for ourselves, and you don't have to work two jobs. If you choose to only work one, then maybe you won't be living in that yacht. Maybe you don't want a yacht. Maybe you just want health care. Okay, dentistry today, you can't afford it. I would like to figure out a way to help you. I'm actually left leaning in this in this regard, and I'm all for using certain programs to raise standards of living. I like unemployment. I think these things can work if they're implemented properly, but only if you have a group of people who are willing to do the work. Now, a person today, a poor person has better medical care than Rockefeller did, than than the big oil barons did 100 years ago, because society has improved and has improved for everyone, even poor people, which means relative to what you are being given, you have to do less and less work over time. Think about it this way. A person who worked full time all day, every day did not have access to this amazing medical care we had. No matter how hard they worked, they'd never get it. People today want that. They want a better standard for themselves and they work really, really hard to get close to it. But what's happening is you have people who look to the wealthy and say, I want that. I deserve that. 
Okay, I'd like you to be able to get it. But realize that means working two jobs. Get it? I don't know why it's so hard to understand. You can sit back and do nothing and be a fat homeless person. I'm not trying to be mean. America has overweight homeless people. Homelessness is a problem. Okay, that we got to solve. Some people work full time just to be able to afford an apartment. I know it's still a struggle. Poverty still exists and there are still lack of access to resources. Over time, things will improve. So here's what I want. to. Here's my main point here. Why is it that I work more than somebody who works two jobs? I do. I have no days off and I work 16 hours a week. I certainly don't have to. What's the difference between me and somebody else who doesn't want to do that, but demands they have a certain standard of living? Why can't you work 16 hour days all day, every day with no days off too? That's my choice, right? I, I think people deserve days off. I like the idea of a 40 hour work week. I think people should be able to balance their, their personal and, and, and work lives, all that stuff. But I also recognize that if you want something, you have to work for it and you don't, you're, you're entitled to nothing. So I, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain this other than, look, there's a lot of news, a lot of things for me to cover. I saw a Twitter thread. I decided to address it. So here's my response to the thread as it is right now. Yes, people should work two jobs if they want to buy a house. Why is that surprising to anybody? Why should someone be given a house? What entitles you to a house? Someone has to build the house. Someone has to sell the house. Someone has to maintain the house. And guess what? You might have to actually work in order to generate the resources you need to buy that house. When dealing with people who have no experience in the real world, like I, th- I think one of the things that greatly benefited me throughout all, you know, through, through with things like this is that I've been homeless. Guess what? When you're homeless, you don't even get to sleep. I'm not kidding. You don't get to sleep. I've gone from living in a car and I've spent a few days sleeping on benches in parks. Not an exaggeration. And guess what? When you're sleeping on a bench in a park, there is no time off at all. Because when you're sleeping, you're sleeping with one eye open the whole time, waking up every 20 minutes because you need to take care of it. You need to protect yourself. That's life in the real world. But we've created this bubble where people are like, I shouldn't have to work all day. Imagine living in the wilderness. Imagine, you, you know, everything taken for granted by people. So let me wrap this up because I, I keep these segments relatively short. My ultimate point is you do as much work as you need to to get what you want, but not everybody will have access Someone responded, Tim, I think they said, you're what's considered a specialty field. You know, you're working one job and getting paid more. What people are asking is that they can work one job and to afford to survive, not go homeless. That's not how it works. That'll never be how it works. Life is a treadmill. If you just, if you just walk, you don't move forward. If you stand still, you move backwards. In order to get ahead, you have to run. The reason I'm where I am and successful is because I've been running at full sprint nonstop for a decade. You don't have to do that like I do. But recognize if you're stuck where you are, you have to work more. And guess what? You might be all the way at the back of that treadmill, that conveyor belt, whatever. And that means you have a lot of running to do to catch up with the middle class in this country. Is it fair? Of course it's not. Life isn't fair, but you might have to work hard and you can't yell to the people in front of you. Hey, come back here and help me run forward. Some people might do it. I'm all about that. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. And guess what? Yes, working two jobs. If you work two jobs, if you work 16 hours a day, I work more than two jobs. I work 16 hours a day, all day, every single day with no days off. If you do that for a long enough time, you will be successful. Maybe not as successful as me or other people, but you'll be more successful than people unwilling to work. That's a fact. 
I'll leave it there. I don't know. Fun conversation. I know there's no real opportunity for rebuttal from Shu or from Carlin or whatever, but I just want to make a segment about it. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. YouTube ban coming in three, two. Uh, hopefully I don't get banned doing this segment, but I have to. It's the news. And I know YouTube doesn't want to hear it and Facebook doesn't want to hear it and people are going to get mad, but here it is. NYC Councilman Paul Vallone credits hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19 recovery. Dare I say a Democrat has stood up and thanked hydroxychloroquine from, for saving his life when he had COVID. Maybe he's wrong because listen, I'm not here to blow smoke. I'm not going to complete that, uh, uh, that whatever idiom. I don't know what it's called. Analogy. Uh, uh, look, I'm not here to lie to you and just try and favor one side. All right. If a Democrat is saying this, it's interesting. But I'll also show you this story. More than 100 Americans have died after taking hydroxychloroquine for COVID, despite Donald Trump insisting people had nothing to lose by trying the unproven drug. There are a lot of people far smarter than me that say it can really help. It is not a cure. That's important. Can it help? I defer to the doctors. But one of the reasons a lot of videos are getting banned is because they're claiming it is a cure when it isn't. Now, there's a doctor at Yale who says it can help. And I think we should listen to them. And the problem is we have two extremes on this. And I, and I don't mean every people believes the two extremes. But the media keeps trying to argue that Trump is calling it a cure. That's not fair. Many people who are calling out these fake news stories are pointing out how they falsely frame things and try and overhype what it is hydroxychloroquine can actually do. The important thing here, the Daily Mail says they died after taking it. They don't say they died because they took it, which means, well, yeah, it's not guaranteed. There's a chart showing that it could help in some ways, but you really got to, I want to make sure this is very, very clear. The reason I'm highlighting the story is because it is literally the news and a Democrat is saying it. Democrat is saying it. I think it's, it's relatively important to highlight a voice like this councilman to bring this up. But I do think first and foremost, before we move, move forward, you just got to talk to your doctor. Don't take advice from me. Don't take advice from anybody on YouTube or the president himself. The president can give his opinion. I think it's insane. They banned him. You know, I'm sorry. They, they, they deleted the tweet from his campaign and all that stuff. But I think really, no matter what any of these people say, whatever you hear, just go to your doctor and ask for their advice and follow their treatment because they're the ones who know what's best for you. You might find like this guy, the doctor actually prescribed it. Let's read the story. The New York Post says a Democratic New York City councilman says hydroxychloroquine saved his life after a near fatal run in with COVID-19 in March. Paul Vallone, who represents Northeast Queens, took the drug along with a standard flu z and came back from the brink almost immediately. I couldn't breathe very weak, couldn't get out of bed. My doctor prescribed it. My pharmacy had it. Took it that day, and within two or three days, I was able to breathe, Valone told the Post. Within a week, I was back on my feet. Though Valone went public with, the po- with his coronavirus diagnosis in an April 1st Twitter post, saying he was experiencing mild symptoms, his actual condition was considerably more severe. Valone's initial prognosis was particularly grim, as he also suffers from sarcoidosis, an autoimmune disease that attacks his lungs. We were in panic mode. When I went down because I didn't have a lot of immune response, he said, I needed something to stay alive. Hydroxychloroquine worked for me, he said. This uh, is reminiscent of a Democrat in, I believe it was Michigan, who experienced the exact same thing. One thing you really need to consider, 
is that we could be seeing outlier cases and anecdotes are not data. Now, there is data, there are studies, and there are smart people like Harvey Risch of Yale, an epidemiologist who said, this could be helping us solve the problem if we stopped demonizing it. Now, I defer to them. But you got to be really careful about this stuff. Just because you see one or two stories does not mean it's working. It could be placebo effect. It could just be the fact that he took these and it didn't do anything. And, and, and he ended up just you know doing well and getting better on his own. That's the important point. And I, I highlight this just to make the reference. Look, I'm not a doctor. And you got to be careful about the, pol- the politicization, the politicizing of these kinds of stories. People are going to want you to believe because Trump said it. Trump is right. People are going to want you to believe because Trump said it. Trump is wrong. The reality is smart people. Harvey Risch of Yale, an epidemiologist, has recommended it, saying it could help. That's the important factor right there. I defer to the experts, okay? I think Fauci is is just following the press on this one. Unfortunately, he, te- he has a tendency to just say whatever the press says two days later. And, and, and it's a very difficult position to be in. When you have, you know, he was wrong in the past. So what would you do? I don't know. Let's read more. Valone's brother, Peter, a former city councilman and a current civil court judge in Queens, also became a convert after his brother's illness. I guess all those doctors who are prescribing it are right. This drug is already on the market and the patent is up. So it's cheap. A new drug won't be. So big money does not want this drug to be used. Always follow the money, Peter Valone said in a May 12 Facebook post, sharing a link to an NYU study touting the drug. It saved my life, Paul Valone said in his comments. Hydroxychloroquine, a malaria medication which has been on the market since 1955, came back into the spotlight this year as a potential pandemic miracle. Uh, No, I'm not going to repeat this because I do not believe this is accurate. President Trump, the New York Post is saying it came back on the market as a miracle cure, and I suppose it's a good way of framing it. It is not. That's very, very important to say. Can it help people? According to these stories, yes. Okay. According to Harvey Risch, yes. And uh, according to Paul Valone, his brother, yes. Take it all into consideration. You talk to your doctor. All right. No one, I believe, is, is, uh, is that, none of these studies are actually saying it's a cure, mind you. Quote, all right, here's what it says. President Trump has frequently touted the drug and even took it himself for a time to help ward off the virus and has been criticized for it. You'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it, Trump said. And, and that's actually true. That is true. The drug has proven controversial. In June, the, the Food and Drug Administration declared hydroxychloroquine unlikely to be effective in treating COVID-19. Scientific studies about the drug's efficacy have been mixed. Paul Valone, however, remains grateful for the president's advocacy. At that time, there was only fear and panic. He offered hope in a possible treatment when there was none. With my sarcoidosis, sarcoidosis, and then my COVID symptoms, it basically saved me. For that, my family will always be thankful, he said. Look, I'm not going to pretend to be a scientist or have all the answers. I can only show you this story, and it's important because it counters this media narrative that, that it's completely dangerous and wrong. When I think you, you've got this narrative going around. I, I think the narrative is not complete, right? I think the, what the media is pushing forward is, is fractured and broken. Right now, people are saying, why is it that Fauci was wrong so much? Well, you're watching science in real time, they say. Science in real time means that there's going to be scrutiny, that the publications will not be correct, and it takes time to get these things right. That is absolutely true. But you can't just stop there and say Fauci was wrong about masks, therefore he's right about them. Now, he could still be wrong. 
What that means is when a bunch of doctors hold a press conference and Facebook, YouTube, Twitter or whatever, take down a news organization's video this is what happened. You are suppressing the goal of science, which now you have doctors saying it could be right. It could be wrong. The point is, why should YouTube decide this is where the science stops? They shouldn't. And that to me is scary because we've already seen activists get scientific studies pulled. And now we're seeing news organizations get silenced for filming a a Republican congressman's press conference. I kid you not. That's what happened. A group of doctors came out and there's one word they used that resulted in the video being taken down. And that word was cure. Hydroxychloroquine is not. And I do think it's fair to call that out. But I think taking down news organization videos and even terminating the speech of these individuals over saying this is wrong. I think what you can do is maybe just say, we don't want any extreme positions taken on whether it is or isn't. What the problem is, they're only the media and the social media is only taking a position on one stance that it isn't. Okay, well, well, hold on. Don't get extreme. Harvey Risch of Yale says it can help. Okay, if that's the case, defer to the doctors. Stand with science on this one. I'll see how YouTube responds to this video. It'll be funny. I'm saying defer to the doctors and stand with science. Is that too much? The, the, the rea- Here's what I'm trying to say. We're going to get more and more stories like this. And the more the media suppresses it, the more you're going to hyperpolarize people's reactions. They'll I- either believe it's totally bunk or it's totally true. And both are bad. Hopefully my video will stand because the point is some people claim to be, to be helped by it, but I believe it is too far to say it's a cure. And then when you end up with people getting their videos taken down by this, the other people are going to assume it is. And Big Pharma is trying to jam everybody up so they can market some patented product that costs three grand, which apparently it will, versus this, you know, public domain treatment. Treatment's probably a better word. Potential treatment. And there are studies showing it can help. Let's put it that way. Let's not get people's hopes up. Some people will not do well, you know, taking it. I mean, take a look at this. People who are on it, 100 Americans have died. They say the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reviewed data from the FDA's database of side effects of the drug. In the first six months, 293 Americans died after taking hydroxychloroquine compared to 75 such deaths in 2019. It could be that people with COVID aren't always benefited from this. I don't know. It could be this contributed. I really don't know. The point is, it's okay to have uncertainty. It's not okay for big tech to silence anybody who dare bring it up. Oh, God, whatever, man. I'll leave it there. This video is going to get nuked, I suppose. But uh, stick around. I got one more video coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. The organization that helped launch Occupy Wall Street has announced a new occupation, but they're calling it the White House White House Siege. They're saying that on September 17th, 2020, the anniversary of Occupy Wall Street, they will descend on the White House for 50 days, and they're going to shut it down. I don't know what they mean by siege. Hopefully they keep it nonviolent. Somebody responded to them on Twitter saying nonviolent is the only way. And they said, abs- or they, uh, someone said it must be nonviolent. And someone else, uh, and they responded the only way, I believe. So hopefully that's the case. And good, good peaceful protests, sure. But another group is also planning something called Shutdown DC. According to their Twitter account, they haven't set a date or location, but the plans are being made. Let's see exactly what Adbusters is calling for in the next uh, couple, in the next month or so. They say, all right, you activists, all right, all you activists, 
It's been nine years since we set off the political earthquake of Occupy Wall Street, laying siege to NYC Zuccotti Park and inspiring thousands of similar protests around the world. The Occupy anniversary arrives September 17th, 2020, and it may be the perfect day to trigger another big, another global big bang moment, a massive collective action of the sweetest kind of disobedience. The why hardly needs recitation because for these nine years, the shadows of shadows have only grown longer. Inequality has soared. Not a single Wall Street CEO spent a night in jail for his role in the 2008 financial meltdown. Well, I mean, you had eight years of Obama, so <laughs> sure. Politicians and corporate criminals continue to savage the public trust with impunity. And all the while, this howling void of a president, his sins too many to name, sits smugly atop a corona death toll that may surpass 200,000 Americans by Christmas. It's time again for dramatic, decisive action, which is why on September 17th, in the original and enduring spirit of Occupy, we and tens of thousands of our fellow citizens will stream into Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. We will lay siege to the White House and we will sustain it for exactly 50, uh, 50 days. This is the White House siege. OK, you know, my problem is with the far left. They've taken no victories, no wins with Donald Trump. They can't. They can't accept it. Their whole identity is based on the government being bad, even when Donald Trump does things they like. One of the big issues many people had at Occupy Wall Street was anger over free trade agreements, untethered or um, unaccountable illegal immigration. That's right. While many of these people done at Occupy were for amnesty, they didn't like the free trade open borders policies that were being enacted by the likes of the Koch brothers. So along comes Bernie Sanders, who says no TPP. And they all go, yay, Bernie. And Bernie says open borders is a Koch brothers proposal. And they go, yay, Bernie. And then Donald Trump comes around and says, no TPP. It's bad. China. No, no NAFTA. Open borders. Bad. And they go, boo, Trump. So what does that mean? How do you boo Trump saying the same things as Bernie? In fact, the media back in 2015 and 16 tried to point that out, that Bernie and Trump had a lot of similar policies because they were populists who were fighting for the American people. Well, Bernie Sanders sold out the working class, switched all his policy positions, took a million bucks, and now he goes and resides in multiple homes. Donald Trump's net worth has dropped considerably, and he donates his, his, uh, his, sal- his presidential salary. But he's brought about an end to the TPP, and end to NAFTA and secured our borders. So where are these people to be like, yay, we liked these things. Trump made some mistakes. Hiring John Bolton was a huge mistake. Well, he fired that guy and that guy just proved to be a serious mistake. Donald Trump is now trying to withdraw our troops from, from Afghanistan. And these are things that I've always cared about. And I'm like, hey, okay, Donald Trump's doing his thing. What do we end up getting? You get a far left that says his sins are too great to bear. They blame him for COVID because it is fake. Ad busters, fake lies. Where, where, where are you now to take victory for the things that Donald Trump has actually bought about? Instead, you seek to oppose him. So what Joe Biden can get back in all the protests these people had during the Obama administration. And you want to restore the Obama administration. Now you are liars, hypocrites. You're full of it. The, none of the bankers got prosecuted, blah, blah, blah. Yes. In 2008, Barack Obama won the election in 2009. He assumed office. And then in 2011, you kicked off Occupy Wall Street during Obama. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Right now you're mad that nobody's faced justice over 08. So what's your goal? 
resist Donald Trump and get Joe Biden elected so you can bring back the people you were protesting? You're liars. Donald Trump has done more for what you've asked for than Barack Obama ever did. And Joe Biden is the Obama administration. Ah, I see, though. They're hoping Joe Biden begs and gives them whatever they want, which is more absurd far left policy, I suppose. Is that it? That you'll you'll sacrifice the gains you got through Trump and the potential gains you might get and restore the establishment for what? That doesn't make sense to me. Why would you want to bring back the guy, no matter what you think you might get from it, bring back the guy who's going to turn around and belittle you? It's, it's because they're, all they want to do is make money, in my opinion. It's all a game. They're grifting. Now, now, I'll tell you what, man. I love it when they call Republicans grifters because Republicans are unabashed capitalists who seek to make money. Y'all are the, supposed to be the socialists who eschew such things and want to form organizations of cooperation, but instead you just manipulate people into going and doing these things so you can generate press for yourselves and then sell magazines or something. They say a siege only works if it's sustained. We witnessed this, the multiplying power of a strategic occupation. Nine years ago, you dig in, hold your ground, and the tension accumulates, amplifies, goes global. 50 days, September 17th to November 3rd. Let us once again summon the sweet revolutionary nonviolence that was our calling card in Zuccotti Park. I'm all for it, man. You want a nonviolent protest? Here, here, with my blessing. I love it. I really do. I mean it sincerely. Not nonviolent, you know, civil disobedience is an American pastime. It's how we make this country. It is a part of who we are. It is a part of that spirit. I'm sorry, though. As much as I'm all for uh, peaceful protest, I think you guys are just lying. I think it's just fake. They don't actually, I don't know, I don't know what, they, what, what they actually want, because res- helping restore Joe Biden makes literally no sense. White House siege will electrify the U.S. election season, and it doesn't stop there. Drawing wind from Me Too, BLM, Extinction Rebellion, and protests against Trump's lethal bungling of coronavirus will inspire, like, inspire a global movement of systemic change, a global spring a, in the fall, a cultural heave towards a new world order. What? <laughs> All right. What is our one demand? We want to collaborate with you, brainstorm tactics with you, spark a revolution with you. We need your voice of wisdom and expertise to pull off a radically democratic tone shift in our politics. If you would like to either contribute or just, you know, drop us a line. Here's our email or submit your ideas to the form below. First, let's get our tactics in order. Then let's screw screw up our courage, stuff our backpacks with the tools of nonviolent revolution and head to Lafayette Square with the in, with with intelligence to match our spirits spirits starting September 17th. I'll tell you what. Here's how I'll put it. If you're going to come out and protest, come out and protest to demand of the Trump administration, I suppose. The, the, the problem I see with all of this is that as much as I've never been a big fan of Trump's, you know, presidency, as, as, as a comedian, entertainer and TV guy and all that stuff. Yeah, he's hilarious, right? I, I see him being infinitely better than Joe Biden, who is the Obama administration, who is the crony establishment. So the very least you can say to Donald Trump, here are the things we demand of you because Trump is likely to win. I mean, most people think he will. Maybe he won't. But, you know, people think he, he will. Trump will absolutely play populist and offer up real solutions to the demands of people who, who, who requested of him within reason. I mean, you come in and demand a full communist government. That's obviously not going to happen. But you want to talk about health care and stuff. And he's going to say, sure. I mean, Trump's talking about it with executive orders because it's not really getting done. Although the left, for some reason, attacks the guy when Trump says things they like. This does not make sense to me. But it's not just ad busters. 
Hashtag shutdown DC is also planning for action this fall. They say we're getting ready for an election meltdown this fall. Are you? They go on to mention a bunch of stuff. They don't give you any real, they don't give any real specifics. They just complain about Donald Trump. And then they talk about their preparation. They say they're going to follow up, you know, so there's a form here. They mentioned on Twitter, they don't have any hard plans. They're starting to make plans now, but I highlight this just to show you it's more than one group. I think it's fair to say we are going to see a massive reaction of some sort or massive action of some sort in D.C. And Trump better play this one right, because one of the things they're going to try and do is bait the president to make him look bad. But I'll tell you what, this may be one of the biggest mistakes the far left will be making of the year, of the election, of the decade. The, the rioting in Portland did not work. Now, they've stressed over and over again, peaceful, 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 nonviolent, they said, nonviolent, nonviolent, okay? Nah, I'm sorry, man. There'll be exploiters, agitators, they're going to come. And what's going to happen is in the months, in the 50 days leading up to an election, you are, you are going to scare the, the, scare the American people to no end with these mass protests and violence, which will invariably occur. Whether the police started or not, doesn't matter. The American people are going to say, I don't want this in my neighborhood. I don't want this in my country. They're already screaming at people. You do this and you will create fodder for Donald Trump. So you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe they know it and maybe that's what they really want. Maybe they know Joe Biden is the crony establishment and they know they can play the boogeyman to help Donald Trump get reelected. Sure, I guess, but I really don't think so. I think they're just inept and they're lying and they're grifting. And in the end, what's going to happen is a bunch of people are going to show up. They're going to act the fool. Trump's going to clear it out with the police. And the American people are going to say, good, we need a president who will uphold law and order and shut down the insanity. Anyway, we'll see how this plays out. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Uh, I'll see you next time.